welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Janice Wolf. Hello, hello, hello. We have so many exciting things happening in the canine world and have even more things happening in the human world. It's kind of an interesting uh, weekend we've got here actually right now. We've got 70 degrees all weekend, even though we're, you know, mid-October here. And I think a lot of times people are thinking, oh, I can let the dogs out. They can stay outside. They can stay out in the car. And you still have to be careful with the car, you know, if it is even, you know, in the in the 60s and you leave dog in a locked car, it can heat up pretty pretty quickly. And even if your dog is totally fine in your heated up car, because it's only like 75 or 80 in the car, which is, you know, fine, obviously, um, if the dog were outside and that wouldn't be a problem. But you do get a lot of well-meaning Good Samaritans, and I may be one of them, who are going to either write you a note, stand there and wait to see if you are planning to come back quickly, or the proverbial uh, poop hits the fan, and somebody says, I've got to save this dog and rescue it from the very, very dangerous, you know, it's 40 degrees out. So, um, and smash your, you know, potentially smash your, uh, your vehicle. Now, what I think makes sense, if you do need to keep your dog in um, a car for, let's say you're running errands and you take your dog with you and you're going to run into the post office to go to your post office box or, you know, quick thing, it's probably not a problem. But if, I, I'm talking this time of year, but if you wind up in Dead, getting caught up because, oh, I'm just going into the supermarket for five minutes. And you wind up seeing an old friend or they didn't have something or you're waiting for your order at the deli or something. Just remember, if your dog is in the car more than you know a few minutes, um, even in this weather, obviously in the hot weather, it's a whole different thing. You shouldn't leave the dog in there at all. Um, but if you have a problem and you're in there, you wind up being in there for 10 or 20, 30 minutes, you know, that could be seen as endangering a dog. So please be careful with that, okay? Please make sure that no matter what you do um, and that no matter what we wind up with, you, that you are able to um, ensure that you have no problemos. Um, and it's really better if you're going to be doing a lot of errands and you think that there might be a chance that you're going to get tied up with something, you can leave the dog at home or at least write a note um, on the, you know, and stick it on your dashboard to say like, hey, the air conditioner is on because I have one of my vehicles is a hybrid and it kicks itself on and off all the time. So that kicks itself on and off and on and off. Um, so that the dog can be inside. But I also have, and I think it's a great thing for people, a um, sensor in there that is tied into my phone. And what it will actually do is it will ping my cell phone and it will text me so that if by chance I need to have them, I don't usually have that happen because when I bring one of my dogs, it's a service dog and the dog is helping me. So it's with me. Um, But if I have to run in somewhere and, um, you know, I, I, not that this really happens very often, but if I had to run in really quickly, like drop something somewhere, um, I have that sensor and they're really great. It, I don't even think it's that expensive. It might be $10, $15 a month 
for hooking it into your uh, cell phone account. And they're great because this way, if there's anything going on, even if somebody's breaking into your car, it's going to notice the sound. If your dog is barking, if the temperature goes too high or too low, it'll alert you. And those are great because this way, at least if there is a problem or potential problem, you know about it and you're there. So that's a great thing if you are the kind of person who, like a contractor or someone who has to go from job site to job site. Uh, I've certainly sold my Ridgebacks to people who are, you know, driving a lot and they, you know, drive one place or another and the dogs are not service dogs, although they're well behaved enough that they almost could be. Um, but people didn't have a medical need or a psychiatric need for the dogs. But what they do is they have these little uh, sensors there that you can actually go on, you know, any of the shopping uh, facilities, any places you can go on the internet, look them up and look for the reviews. That's really important because some of them work great, like the ones I've got, but there are also some that don't work very well. So I actually have two in my vehicle because I just don't trust that one of them, even though that one has really not ever been bad. I would rather have two than have one that didn't function properly because it didn't get a cell service or it ran out of uh, electricity or battery or whatever. So the best thing to do is to plan your day out. Make sure that if you do want to bring your dog, just know where you're going to be. Um, get there early if you can, because if you can park somewhere in the shade and, of course, make sure it's going to stay shady a half hour later or 20 minutes later, because sometimes that happens, too. You park your vehicle and it's perfectly shady and then, you know, it's a cloudy day and then the sun comes out and now your dog is in full shade or full sun, I should say. So please be aware of that and just be safe, be careful. Now, another cool thing is people who are going to dog parks, right? Because dog parks are fun because you let your dog run around. And those of you who don't have a nice fenced-in yard will tend to say, oh, I want to go to the dog park. And people say, well, Janice, we know you don't like dog parks. Why don't you like dog parks? My dog gets along. My dog's never had a fight at the dog park. No dog's ever bitten my dog at a dog park. Why don't you like dog parks? Well, if you are the only one in the dog park and there are no other dog in the dog park, I still don't like dog parks. And this is why. Dog parks are like, think of a preschool with a bunch of kids with the drippy noses and coughing. And one of them is sick and now everyone gets sick. Or one of them has parasites. Remember the days of lice? Remember that everybody's elementary school at one point or another, some kid in the school got lice, and everybody had to get checked for lice, right? Now, thankfully, I never had it, but I know a few people who did. It's pretty gross. So, especially as a little kid, right? So what happens is the dog park itself isn't necessarily a good or bad thing. I, I personally, I've opened several. I've been honored at these things, and, you know, people ask me to open their dog park. So it, it's nice. You know, you cut the ribbons, the ribbon-cutting ceremony, and all those good things. But just think about the number, I'm going to put it back into toddlers, the number of snotty-nosed, coughing, hacking, you know, kids who don't wash their hands, they stick their hands in their mouth, they stick their hands down their diaper, and then they touch everything. So you go into the dog park, and whatever dog, even though they might have cleaned the urine and the feces up, even though that all happens, 
the dog park still has all kinds of just bacteria and fungus and mold spores. And they usually have it in some kind of like a standy thing. So you have fleas live there, ticks live there, um, just all kinds of bacteria, um, you know, different kind of protozoal things and microbes and gross stuff. So if you want to take your dog there to the dog park, even a really, really good one where they disinfect, it's only as good as the thickest dog who was there. Where do you think so many dogs wind up getting parvo, canine influenza, uh, mycoplasm, bordetella? Where do you think they get this? Like, they, yes, I, my dogs, many of my dogs go to dog shows. That's one of the ways that we uh, get donations because... A lot of times, um, my dogs, when they win, we have corporate sponsors or individual sponsors who love what we are doing at Merlin's Kids. And so what they wind up doing is they'll give donations. So I have the dogs there, and they have to go there. But guess what? Like, Tina just came home. She's a, a finished champion from the puppy class. But even though I know my handler is super, super careful, I know they're Spotless, and I mean really spotless, like so nice and and neat and clean um, and all that. Even though they are like that, the judges touch the dogs. The judges go near the dogs. The judges are, um, you know, all over them. The dogs are, are urinating and defecating in an X pen or a certain spot. So the dogs start... Um, kind of, you know, getting near each other and all that. So if you say that, you know, you have um, these dogs who are, um, you know, and these are show dogs, right? These people are very careful, very meticulous about the care of the dogs. Um, and the handlers, most of the handlers are really good because they don't want the dogs to get sick either. They want to be able to show the dogs. They don't want the dogs to be sick and bring it back to the kennel. So a dog park, think of it as people who basically go there, and, and this isn't a bad thing, but they go there so that they don't have to walk their dog or their dog can burn off steam. The other problem with dog parks, and we've talked about it before, is that many times the dog parks themselves, even if the dogs don't get some kind of bacteria or disease or whatever it is from them, the dog parks themselves, when you start having uh, dogs who are, let's say, um, you know, play, they're playing, right? They're super, super, I don't want to say aggressive, but they're super attached to their, um, you know, to their all of their toys. You bring that dog's favorite toy, and as soon as you bring that toy and another dog goes near that toy, all of a sudden you got a dog fight and there could be only two dogs in the dog park, but you wind up with a dog fight because the dogs are possessive or protective. And I've seen in dog parks also, I've seen situations where the, um, the owners, the dog gets protective over the owner. And now since the dog is protective over the owner and the owner is just there, the dog might get a little bit funky. So there's so many reasons, so many reasons why you should just be extra, extra careful and you shouldn't probably be 
going to dog parks. Now, let's talk kind of quickly about some things that have been going on in the news. There has been an astronomical amount of parvo. We talked a little bit about it. Parvo typically, once your dog is vaccinated and you keep them up to date on the distemper hepatitis or adenovirus, depending if it's DHPP or DAPP, um, distemper, adenovirus, hepatitis, so all that, uh, parvo and parainfluenza. But what's been happening because, I guess, they're becoming drug resistant and they're becoming much more virulent, some of the things like mycoplasm, there's no bacteria um, that that pretty much, like you think about a virus, a virus like the common cold or like, you know, COVID, viruses usually they can't really control the same way as bacteria. Bacterial infections like staph or strep or, you know, anything like that, um, they can be killed, most of them, by having what we call antibiotics, right? So what's the one everybody guesses? Z-Pak, right? Zithromax. So it's a really great, 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 um, you know, drug to use, good medication to use. But we also have that problem starting to infiltrate the canine world where you have, you know, dogs getting prescribed things that by some veterinarians who really are just kind of treating what they think it is. Um, I, I always see people complaining that their veterinarian, oh, my veterinarian is, you know, want to make money. And so they're making me get, you know, get this culture. Why don't they just give them antibiotics? Well, because that's how this happens. That's what, where a problem can start when you start prescribing just any bacterial thing and you say, okay, let's use cephalexin or let's use clavamox or let's use whatever. And then sometimes the animals can become and the diseases can become resistant to that particular drug. And then that means that that drug is basically not useful anymore. So that's why drug manufacturers are always looking for new antibiotics and new uh, modalities to help us and to help animals because, of course, as these things are used more and more, there is more of drug resistance in different bacterial infections and such. And that's what led to like Cipro and vancomycin and some of the real heavy hitters. And there's even heavier hitters than those. Um, but they're, they're tough. So again, why do you want to expose your dog to something that can potentially uh, cause a problem for him or her when you don't have to. Honestly, if you have your dog you're in your neighborhood and everybody in your neighborhood takes care of their dog and there's no issues, then why do you go, why do you go to a dog park? Most people would be so much better off doing this. Take your dog for a walk. Why do I tell you to take your dog for a walk? Because taking your dog for a walk changes the way the dog thinks. It changes the way the dog looks at you and looks at everything pretty much because now the dog thinks, oh, okay, so I guess you, um, you know, you're not walking me, so I'm dragging you around wherever it is. And now because I'm dragging you around wherever it is, I must be in charge. Get your dog out, and especially if your dog has had any issues. A good friend of mine called, and his dog got attacked. I think this is, I don't know, fourth time this poor dog's gotten attacked. 
uh, a golden retriever when he was about four months old, another golden retriever, yes, golden, who um, ran out um, and attacked him another time, and then two other dogs uh, more recently. And his dog is still okay, and he's good, and when he comes to visit me, I mean, he's not ever aggressive or anything. He's a great dog. But there's going to be a limit reached, and at some point, every single dog, every single person has had it. So you get pushed, and I've talked about this. You know, you push a person too much, you push a dog too much, you push a horse too much. There gets to be a point that there's pushing back. And before you get to that point, take your dog for a walk, especially if your dog is either fearful or dominant. Make that dog walk next to you calmly. Don't use treats and bribe them to do it. You can always use like a head halter, like we only use the gentle leader head collars. We love those. Um, The halties always seem to fall off. Maybe for somebody it works, but not for us. But you can use something like that. You can use a slip lead, which is like what you get at your veterinarian's office. Or you can use um, a martingale collar, which won't hurt him either. But the key is putting the collar or the slip lead up right behind the ears. Kind of, well, I mean, I have really beautiful show dogs, but it, it should be on any dog. You should be able to feel right behind the ears. There's like a little bit almost, um, oh, I guess you would almost say like a um, like a divot, almost like if you're golfing, right? And in this divot, you'll see that right there, it's very easy for you to keep that either martingale or that slip lead or the the little um, whatever you're using high up on the dog's neck. So treat your dog like it's a show dog. If you've ever seen the show dogs, you see that the collar or the little slip lead is all the way up right under its jaw. Now, if you're using a regular collar or worse, a harness, if you, and people go, oh, but my Yorkie has a collapsing trachea. Well, if your Yorkie has a collapsing trachea, even more use, more reason, better reason to use a, um, either a slip lead that's very high up or better yet the gentle leader because it doesn't put any pressure at all on the throat. The gentle leader has whatever little ribbon on over the nose that that kind of keeps it from choking your dog or hurting your dog. So you have to just look at what you need and why you're there, what you're doing, so that, you know, you have the best things for your dog. You're giving your dog the best opportunity to be the best dog he can be. And that's really what we all want, isn't it? So let's move on from dog parks. And we got walks. Let's move on a little bit more to how do you take your dog, like if you want to go hiking or whatever, because a lot of people tell me, hey, Jess, why can't I take my dog hiking off leash? If your dog's not dog aggressive or people aggressive, sure you can. Is he going to come back if he sees a squirrel or a deer? Is he going to chase it into the wilderness? Well, that's a good question. If you say to me, well, as soon as you get to that point, you probably don't want to do that because you're probably not going to have a dog left. So work with your dog, not on a recall necessarily, because I I don't like when people say, 
well, my dog will come back if I have a treat. Because if the dog is too far away, he sees something that's much more important or impressive than you. He's probably going to not listen to you. And he's probably going to follow his nose and his eyes. And he's going to say, look, there's a deer running or look, there's a squirrel running. And especially if you have something with hound in it or a sporting breed, you know, like a Vishla or a Weimaraner or a German Shorter Pointer um, or a Treen Walker Coonhound or Bloodhound, those guys are going to get on a scent or see something and they are going to go. And good luck. I hope you have a lot of, a lot of area and I hope there's a big sense around it because it's going to take a while to get that dog back. Instead of that, instead of bribing your dog with food, just give your, you wouldn't say do that to your kids. Well, if you are nice today, I'll give you dinner. No, you're, you're their parent. You're supposed to give them dinner. You're supposed to take care of them. Your dog shouldn't have to be bribed and your dog shouldn't have to look at you as a darn Pez dispenser that every time, you know, something happens, the head pops up and a Pez, you know, slips out. It, it shouldn't be that way. Your dog should love you, okay? Your dog should want to be with you. Kind of like having a spouse or a, a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. You really hope or you should hope that the person loves you and is coming home at night because he wants to or she wants to come home, not because he has to or he's worried that he's not going to get dinner somewhere else. The key is relationship. Everything I've done in 40 plus years, 50 years, because I, I've been doing this literally since I was a little kid, if everything I do is to build relationships okay, with people, with dogs. The difference is that most dogs don't have an ulterior motive. Many people do. So dogs are honest, like horses. Horses are pretty honest. Every once in a while, you you've ridden enough and trained enough horses where you've ridden hundreds of horses, you will start to realize, ah, okay, there's that occasional one who just wants to dump me or try to dump me and I'm not going to let him win. But it's really rare for that to actually happen with dogs. Most dogs, all they want to do is be with you. All they want to do is be your buddy. They want to see you. They want to love you. They want to follow you. So, for me, for instance, I have a big property, but I could let my dogs out anywhere, anywhere on my property, and they'll follow me, and I can let them out in the middle of a city, and they'll follow me. But why don't I do that in the city, even though I know my dogs will follow me? Because A, there's a leash law, and B, what happens if that one time in a million, that dog sees something on the other side of that street? or sees on the other side of that path and goes for it and gets killed. And I look at that, is it worth it to me for a stupid thing like, oh, I'm not going to have my dog on a leash when I'm crossing the street? Could I do it? Of course. Can I do it? Of course. Have I done it? Yes, I have. And I've done it with multiple, multiple dogs. But I won't do it with your dog who's here with me so that I can help the dog. And I won't do it with my heart dogs, which means I won't do it with any of my dogs to be just showing off. Because most of the time, people who are doing that, it's just to show off. It's like, look what I can do. And I have seen that happen. And I watched it in New York City. Somebody had a dog off leash. The dog was absolutely perfect. The guy took a step, and, and it wasn't even the guy's fault. 
The guy took a step off the curb. The dog took a step off the curb. The guy quickly jumped back to the curb because there was a car coming and the dog got hit and killed right in front of me. And I was like mortified because I saw it coming. So the dog was just following the owner step by step, but he got killed. I mean, it was just terrible. So all I'm telling you guys is try to make sure that you don't do silly things like letting your dog run off leash without you if, you know, in a place that you're not 100% sure the dog's going to come back because is it really worth it? it? It really isn't worth it, honestly. It is not worth losing that dog that you love, that you've put all your time into, that you've put your training into, you put your heart into. It's just not worth it. Throw a leash on the dog. You know, it's it's the smart thing to do. And it's usually the law in most places. Did you also know, talking about the leash law, that if your dog perfectly behaved is right next to you and somebody else's dog runs off and attacks your dog while it's next to you, but not on a leash, do you know that you actually are having dog at large as well as the other person has dog at large? And it's not really, uh, you're not going to recover anything because your dog was off leash, even though it was right next to you. So if you do want to do something like that and you want, I mean, just throw a leash on him, loop it on your wrist. If this dog is that good, he doesn't need it, you're not even going to know he's there. Put it around your waist. They have these great little belt tethers that you can just slip around a belt or even slip around your shoulder and at least have the dog on a leash. But if you have your dog on a leash and somebody else's dog attacks yours, then you're covered because your dog is leashed and the other dog is at large. So check that out in the town in which you live and in the towns and areas in which you frequent because you will see that once you have the dog on a leash, your rights are enormously impacted positively versus what could happen which is, you know, you and the other person both have dog at large and it's each person pays his own bills. And especially if your dog, if you have a smaller dog and your dog gets killed or gets really hurt, oh, your dog was off leash, even though he's right next to you under control. All right, we have to take a quick break uh, for about a minute or two and we will be right back with From Shelter Dog to Service Dog. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. And thank you for hanging around. Uh, one of the jokes that we have is today is brought to you by the number seven and the letter C. I have a real cute little uh, two puppies and they are delicious. And I wanted to talk to you about all the cool things that I've been doing with them already. <clears throat> when you get a puppy, especially, I mean, with me, I get them from birth. Actually, I get them from a sperm and an egg. but When I get puppies or young dogs in for board and train, and especially recently I've had really a lot of people reaching out to me to train their new puppy to be a service dog or a therapy dog or a canine good citizen dog because I uh, am a CGC evaluator, so I can handle all that as well. People ask me, like, what's the most important thing that you can do with your dog? And I say, take them for a walk. 
And they go, oh, yeah, I take them for a walk twice or three, or sometimes three times a week. You have to understand something. When you have a dog that you, you know, just a pet, that's one thing. But when you have a dog that you want to train to be a therapy dog or a service dog or really just a really super well-behaved pet, the important thing, and you've heard it before, is consistency. But not consistency as far as you got to do this obedience training six times a day, you know, and blah, 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 blah. That is not what it's about. What that means and what people hopefully are referring to is the fact that when you're doing something, you have to take it to fruition. You really shouldn't be thinking that, you know, you're going to do this once or twice and the dog is going to remember it. And we don't use treats, you know, with with United Canine, with, with any of these, with Merlin's kids. We don't use... Any of these dogs, um, we don't use treats with them to train them because as everybody who's ever done that has reminded us, right, well, you know, my dog really listens as long as he's hungry. So we don't feed him. We'll feed him. The one lady told me, and I couldn't even believe it, but I, I've seen it before. She said, yeah, well, you know, when we're training our dog, our, our obedience trainer you know, who's a behaviorist. Yeah, well, that's not the truth. Our obedience trainer said, don't feed him breakfast or dinner. Just give him treats throughout the day so he knows that he's got to come to you for food. Well, I mean, kind of sounds like a good idea, right? Yeah, I want my dog to know that I'm in charge. Right, so every time he sees you eating food, he thinks he's going to get some. So it makes him beg. It makes the dog look at you like a Pez dispenser again. Give your dog like you would give your kids breakfast, lunch, and dinner because you're a parent. That's what you do. Give your children food. Give them all the things they need, clothing, shelter, love. Give them that. Don't put conditions on it. And it's the same thing with your dog. Now, if you decide that you're going to do a particularly long training session, I wouldn't give your dog a big meal beforehand or before you're going out to play quite a bit. Because the dog can get bloat. It's like colic with a human or a baby. So if you can figure out that, let's say, okay, you know, I think I'm going to, you know, take my dog. If we're going to go running for like five miles. All right. So you're going to go running for five miles. Don't give him breakfast beforehand. What you should be doing is giving him breakfast when he gets back about 45 minutes, 15 to 45 minutes later, but you never feed a panting dog. So if you are going to exercise your dog, let's say at six in the morning, don't feed him at 530 because that food is sitting right there and it's going to increase his chance of getting bloat or colic. So the best thing to do, take your dog out for a walk or run, whatever, come back, wait 15 to 45 minutes after you get back. And when you're, you feed your dog, he's going to eat. And if he doesn't eat all his food, pick it up and bring it, you know, put it up on the counter or something else. Because you don't want your dog to start thinking that he's eating and then he's going for a walk because it represents when the dog goes out and he's out with the leader, without, he's out with his parents. And there are so many things. Read my book. It's called Shh Happens, S-H-H-H. Happens, Dog Behavior 101. You can get it on Amazon. Um, the Dog Behavior 101, it's shh, 
happens. S-H-H-H instead of the S-H-I-T, it's S-H-H-H happens, Dog Behavior 101 by Janice Wolf. It is the best $10 you're ever going to spend on understanding why your dog does what your dog does. Think about it. Why do people feed their dog and then let them out to potty? Well, you can see if you can let them out to potty after that, but they have to feel like in nature, they would feel that they're going out to hunt. So that's why when your dog is dragging you or he's not dragging you, but he's out ahead of you because people make that distinction with me. Oh, my dog never drags me, but ma'am, your dog is on a flexi lead at the next intersection. Your dog is ahead of you. Your dog is the one breaking the wind, breaking the air. And when in nature, whichever dog would be going first to go, you know, the, the leader, if you would, of a, let's say, a flock of Canadian geese, which are really Canada geese, named after Lewis Canada. If you have the Canadian geese and the Canadian geese are flying, there's always one who's breaking that airstream. That's the leader. That's the one who's the guide. So that would be like parents, right? If you're, you've got two little toddlers next to you, you're not going to put your toddlers in front of you and let them lead you through a packed shopping mall at Christmas time, are you? If Maybe, I don't know, maybe you don't feed your kids either. But the goal is that the dog should know that you're out there protecting him, providing for his needs, giving him what he needs, giving him anything he needs. Whatever you need, protecting you, oh, don't worry about that dog. Don't worry about that squirrel. We're not worried about that squirrel. That's not dinner. We're going to get food, and I'm going to get it for you when we're done because I've got to go hunting for it and looking for it. So if you then feed your dog first and then you walk him, first of all, if he's going for a really long walk, he can bloat. But even if he's not bloating, where is he getting that concept that like, oh, I had to go find my food. Now, it's not working for it. I hate when people say that. Oh, yeah, you got to make the dog work for his food. You got to work for his food. No, you don't have to have him working for it, but he's got to find it. If your dog got out and with all your neighbor's dogs and all the dogs that we all have, and they all started running around, wouldn't it be like kind of Lord of the Flies? Well, quite literally, probably they poop there but wouldn't it be kind of like lord of the flies anybody who didn't read that in like fifth grade so lord of the flies was about a group of boys basically they were you know shipwrecked if you would or you know abandoned in an area and they thought like hey this is so great we got no rules and then the kids started doing things and then they were like oh we have to make laws and make rules because You guys have to know that it's not okay. And, oh, you did something really bad, so we're going to have to make a place to keep you away from the rest of us because we can't trust you. Oh, that would be called a jail. Ah, okay. Well, same thing with dogs. If your dog, maybe they wouldn't make jail, but if your dog were out with a bunch of other dogs in nature, how would they find food? Wouldn't they hunt for it? Of course they'd hunt for it. That was a rhetorical question. You didn't even have to answer that. You know the word rhetorical. Okay, so a rhetorical question. Would they have to hunt for their food? Of course they would. Or they could find something that was already dead and they could fight the hyenas or fight the foxes or wolves or whatever else was out there or the bears. They would have to fight to get their food. Well, we don't have our dogs fighting over food, although 
God knows some of you probably do have dogs who fight over food. Not mine, but some people may have that. So let's say the dogs are out there. They find food. Who is the first dog who would eat that food? And do not tell me that it's the dog who killed it. That is not true. The first dog to eat is the parent, the guardian, the strongest one. If you want to call it a leader, you want to call it a protector, you want whatever you want to call it. Whoever is the strongest, who's the one who protects us, and we want that one to eat first because we want that one to be strong. Because if that one gets weak, then who's going to protect us and who's going to take us on the next walk to go find more food? So we want that one to eat first. And then maybe there's a second one who's really strong. So we want him to eat or her to eat next and so on and so on. So if there are 20 dogs, there might be a fight between number two and three or three and four or four and five, and they work it out. One eats before, and then the other one is still above the rest. That's how they work it out. Now, with our dogs at home, we don't want them working it out because there are plenty of dogs who go over the top because they don't have the uh, connection. Perhaps they don't have the rules set. So in my house, if let's say I had 20 dogs in my house or something crazy like that, okay? If I had that many dogs, would my dogs fight? 20 dogs, let's say, would my dogs fight? Of course not, because guess whose house it is? My house. And my rules are we don't fight in this house. So as soon as you see one of the dogs start to do something a little bit off, let's say you're training a dog to be a service dog, and the dog lifts its leg on a tree and then kicks the grass out behind it, you'd say, oh, look, he's covering it up. Uh-uh, nope, not what's happening. He's being dominant. You'd better correct him as soon as, I mean, the lifting his leg, we can correct, but that kicking the grass out on the back legs and stuff and digging up stuff, that is spreading that scent. That dog is advertising, it is mine, this is my tree, this is my grass, this is my area, and he's making it airborne. That is why they do that. I've seen female dogs lift one leg and urinate. I saw a female boxer in New York City, and I've told you guys this before, stood upside down, stood on her front legs, put her her wuha up against the building and starts peeing on the building like three feet up like this female boxer. I was just floored. Of course, I've seen it, you know, dozens of times since, but I remember the first time I saw that and just going, ma'am, that is not cute. Maybe you take a video of it, put it on some kind of, you know, stupid YouTube channel but that is not good for your female boxer to be doing. And I love boxers. It's one of my favorite breeds. So you have to be thinking that if you allow the dog to do even something as minute as that, kicking out, you're saying, oh, okay, because you're seeing it. The dog knows, oh, you're not complaining about it, so it must be okay. So you must not mind that I'm being, you know, dominant and doing this. Or how many of you guys... When your dog is laying in front of you or he's kind of laying in the middle, laying in the way, laying in front, blocking you, you know, sitting between you and the door, growling or barking at passersby, and you don't say anything, you don't do anything. Why not? You should be going up there, making the dog move, not kicking him or, God forbid, hurting him, but walking through the dog, looking ahead 
and just gently, if the dog doesn't move, then gently just touch him with your toes, gently, and keep shuffling your feet until you get by him and he gets up. And then start when he's in your way, when he's standing up, just walk gently through him. You'll see this all in my book and happens, S-H-H-H, happens, Dog Behavior 101 on Amazon. It's really, like I said, it's really just read the book. It's so easy. Um, And by doing things like that, you're teaching the dog that he's below you. You don't have to have every dog below every dog. You just need every dog to be below you because if there's no fighting in my house, I don't care who comes in, and I've had that happen before where I would bring a dog in for a patient, you know, patient for a, for a client, and I would bring the dog in, and I just had that happen with a dog this past year, um, brought him in, and he came in, and Evie, I think Evie and Sedona were there, or two of them were there, and he decided he was going to go try to jump on Eve, and he was going to try to attack her. It was just a, you know, client dog. The dog jumped up, and just as it was jumping up, Evie stood up on two legs like a like something out of the WWF. It was amazing. Takes the dog, not with her mouth, but her body, puts her shoulder and her chest against the other dog, jumps up, and basically tackled the dog and flipped it backwards. And now it's, the dog is on its back. She's got one foot on each of its shoulders, like its armpits, and she lets just pushes down like one little push and walks away. And that was it. That was all she wrote. That dog just like looked. He got up. There's a little pointer mix. Well, not little pointer, maybe some pit in him. And he just looked at her like, I'm not going to try that again. That was it. And that was a dog who was maybe eight or ten months old. He has never tried it again, and he won't because he learned that. So don't body slam your dog or whatever, but be consistent. Make sure that the rules that are there today are the rules that are there tomorrow, and they should have been the rules from yesterday. So the rules don't change. So as the behavior starts improving, you see that there are fewer and fewer little issues or incidents because the dog goes, well, I definitely can't lift my leg anymore. That is not going over well. I can't kick up stuff. I can't jump on another dog. I can't jump on my parents. I can't, you know, dig up things and, you know, tear stuff up. Um, I, I can't do all those things. I can't steal food. I can't eat before I walk. I got to go, you know, with my family to go find food. And then all of a sudden, one day, you got the best dog in the world. And that's what I have. Every one of my dogs is literally the best dog in the world. I'm actually sitting here right now with Kira, uh, my gold grand champion. She is wonderful. She's our biggest fundraiser for the organization. She's had money donated every time she won. And we had quite a bit um, because she won so much. And we had quite a bit. And she is our number one fundraiser, (laughs) I believe, that we've probably ever had. So, you know, have your dogs, enjoy your dogs, do great fun things with your dogs, enjoy them and, and teach them. Don't get mad at them. Just teach them. And, you know, like I say, you know, if you, if you have, let's say a dog that isn't well behaved or you have a dog that does things with some ulterior motive, which really doesn't happen a lot. But if you have a dog that you almost think is like, wow, this dog's doing this to mess with me. I mean, he may 
but probably he's just not getting the right signals. You'll see where when people will do things because they want to be hurtful, people will do things because they want to be vengeful. Um, something, somebody will do something because somebody did something else, right? Um, you, uh, you know, you, somebody's hurting an animal or somebody won't return your, your, your car or your dog or whatever. And you sue them and you get the dog or the car back. And then they say, oh, well, because you did that, I'm going to get back at you. Well, hey, it wasn't your car. It wasn't your dog. It wasn't your, you know, ring. It wasn't your whatever it was. You know, people don't take responsibility for what they do. Dogs do take responsibility, but you have to be clear with them. You can't get angry at a dog. You shouldn't get angry at people. You just do what you got to do to make it right. With dogs, you do what you got to do to make it right because the dogs don't know anything other than how you act. So, you know the old phrase, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Okay, that is, if somebody hurts you, you hurt them back, right? If somebody pokes your eye out, you poke their eye out. If somebody, you know, breaks your tooth, you break their tooth. I don't go for that because to me that's vengeance. I don't like that whole concept of, you know, getting back at people. You just make things right, okay? So if somebody does something bad to you, you have the option of either yes or no, doing something and taking action. But if a dog does something bad, let's say like biting someone, don't get rid of the dog. Teach him that he shouldn't have done that because dogs don't have that ulterior motive like humans do. So let's say a dog goes and bites a a person um, or, you know, a dog attacks another dog. You probably had many, many, many opportunities before that actually happened where you should have fixed it. You should have resolved it, but you didn't know how to resolve it or you weren't aware that it was a problem. So let's, t- let's take this one because this is something that everybody can understand. All right. Your dog is the best dog in the world. And then one day when your dog is, I don't know, eight months old, all of a sudden, this perfect dog lunges at another dog and tries to bite him. And you're like, oh, my God, this has never happened before. This is crazy. Why is my dog going after another dog? Oh, my God, my dog's a dog aggressive. I better not let him near other dogs ever again. Because what happens if it happens again? Well, meanwhile, all you had to do was correct your dog and teach him knucklehead we don't do that and walk the same way you were walking and go back and forth three or four times by where that other dog was. And just each time, if the dog does react, give him a little correction. You'll read about it in my book. And every single time, by the way, the book, all the proceeds from the book go to our nonprofit. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, everything I do goes to my nonprofit. It's really, really great. It's not good for me, but it's great for that. But anyway, so let's say that same scenario where somebody has a dog and the dog is, let's say, you know, lunges at another dog and now they go home. So what does the dog think? Okay, well, it's the same thing as what the dog thinks. Your dogs, yes, you who are listening right now, I guarantee most of you are going to put your hands up. If I say, put your hand up, raise your right hand if 
your dog has ever barked at the delivery man, UPS, Amazon, FedEx, whatever. Has your dog ever barked and lunged or barked out the window when a delivery person or, or a mailman or whatever postal worker is coming to your dog? Yeah? How many people? Probably 75% of you have your hands up right now and are laughing going, how does she know that? Okay. But what have you done to teach your dog that the UPS or FedEx or USPS person is not there to break into your house? You've done nothing. You try to block them. You try to, you know, put them in a crate during that time. You never teach him that he didn't need to do that job in the first place. Same exact thing as what happens when a, your dog lunges at a person or lunges at a dog for the very first time or a car or whatever, okay? You can put your hands down now. Now, next question is, how many of you have ever taught your dog the rules before that happened? Raise your hand if you have. Um, looking at hands, and I see very few. There are five hands up out of a few thousand people. Okay, so you can put your hands down. You probably don't need to be listening to the show, but the other tons of people, yes, you do need to be listening. Now, when your dog has not ever done anything and it's that first time, it's shocking, okay? So, it's, yeah, okay, you didn't expect it, so you weren't prepared for it. But take that same scenario, as long as you are both safe and you're not going to get hurt or, you know, the other dog isn't trying to come and kill you, but take that scenario and... Start to utilize that to your own benefit, meaning take your dog out and walk up to the UPS person or the Amazon person. Walk your dog back and forth by the truck if you see an Amazon truck and keep walking back and forth. People think, oh, the dog, you know, my dog knows men in uniform or whatever, men in beards, whatever, men in hats, whatever, tall men, whatever, short men, whatever, artichokes, antelopes. The rabbits, whatever it is, it doesn't matter because if you say it's not okay, it's not okay. So what does your dog actually think when the Amazon person or the Whole Foods person or the UPS person or USPS person or whoever it is is coming up to deliver something to your home, especially if that person comes up a lot, like some of you guys have Amazon accounts that are like, crazy, or your mailman, right? So let's say every day, six days a week, that postal worker comes up and comes to the door, puts the mail in, and walks away. Either you have a dog who pulls the mail out of the mail slot and rips it up and tears the crap out of it, or you have the dog clawing at the door, almost going through the window. Does this sound familiar? Put your hand up if you're one of those people. Wow, look at all those hands that just went up. Yep. Okay, put your hands down. You don't have to raise them again because once you answer one or two questions, I know it all. Now, what's going to happen is your dog doesn't look at it as, oh, look, they're bringing bills and maybe an occasional check to my family. Isn't that nice? Oh, look, the Ikea catalog came out. Oh, look, WB Mason has a sale. Your dog does not know why that person is coming up. All he knows is that every day, like clockwork, through rain and snow and dark of night, through sleet, through hail, 
right? You get it. That person tries every single day, except Sunday, tries to break into my house and tries to hurt my family. And I, Fido, will not allow that to happen to my family because I am their provider and protector. So that every time that dog sees that person or people coming up to the door, your dog thinks they're trying to break into your house. So what do you do? You stand behind the dog with him on a leash or you stand behind yelling, God damn it, shut up, knock it off. It's just the postal service. It's just UPS. It's just Amazon. My God, we should have them for Thanksgiving. They're here so much. But what happens is your dog hears rah, 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 rah. And your dog hears you barking louder than he is. So he says, oh, my gosh, I've got backup singers. I ought to be barking even louder. This must be really important because they're insane. So I'm the only one who must be here taking care of them because the other people behind me, my family's lunatic screaming it, or, or not at me, but screaming also barking louder than I am. So that means that when your dog starts getting focused on something, you want to give them a little bit of a correction. Again, it's in the book. Give them that little bit of correction so that he knows, oh, you didn't want me to do that? But don't wait for him to be like, you know, doing everything on his own and like, oh, my God, look, the dog's already done it. Correct him before, not after he's doing it, because whatever it is, it's like you're telling your your spouse, oh, don't cheat on me. But then you're telling him not to cheat on you after he's already cheated on you. So shouldn't you tell your child not to do things before they do the wrong thing? Well, you should be doing that. And unfortunately, man, time flies when we're having fun. I'm going to have to let everyone go, but I hope everybody has an absolutely wonderful weekend, healthy, happy. Take good care of yourselves. Take good care of your animals. Be safe, and we'll see you next week.